0: sure hi everybody this is lee i'm here with bob and jerry and a special friend another lee here today we are one new man ministries we're in ephesians 2 ministry a ministry of reconciliation a ministry of messianic jews and messianic gentiles that's christians believers in yeshua Hameshiach, jesus christ is our lord and savior As Ephesians 2 says in 16 through 18, it says that Jesus came that he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the father. So what a good Post Thanksgiving uh, message, um, we record on Monday for a show on Sunday. So, Happy Thanksgiving, belatedly to everyone, and we just want to say we are thankful to be able to study the Word of the Lord. We study the Old Testament, which is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament, the Old Testament revealed from the point of view of Yeshua whose name means salvation and it's his story so what are we studying today Jerry
1: good morning to you guys good morning to our audience I too wanna add my hope that you had a blessed Thanksgiving and you found that you had a lot to give thanks for Uh, we serve a great God who has blessed us so richly in Messiah Our study today covers Jacob's life from the time he leaves his parents' home until the time he starts to head back towards the Promised Land. It is a period that covers 20 years or so, as we learn from the story. Uh, In this period of time, Jacob leaves home, has a mighty, mighty dream, He arrives at his uncle Laban's house. He falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Uh, He gets to marry her, he thinks, (laughs) but he gets tricked by Laban to marrying Rachel's sister, Leah. So now he's got a wife he hadn't planned for, and then he gets the wife he had hoped for, and then uh, Laban also sends along each girl's nanny or nurse or servant, however you want to understand these people. So... Laban's household, or Jacob's household, is increased. Uh, how, many, how many fourfolds is that, Bob? I think it's You're five. You're the math in here. <laughs> I think Jacob plus four. So then uh, we get this uh, story of how Jacob has uh, 12 sons eventually, uh, but it doesn't go exactly how Jacob had planned. Leah, the uh, unfavored wife, winds up giving birth to six of the 12 sons of Israel, including the one daughter that uh, Jacob had. Uh, We read about uh, Rachel uh, being barren. Uh, We read about envy. We're going to talk about envy in a moment. Uh, Once all the children are born, then we learn about uh, how Jacob was enriched by God and not by Jacob's uh, trickery. But we read the story about uh, Jacob tending Laban's flocks, sheep and goats, and how Jacob would Uh, serve and his wages would be all of the speckled goats and sheep that were uh, born. Laban says, okay, and and for that service, Jacob's going to watch over Laban's flocks and they're going to increase. We learn that as a result of this trickery, subterfuge, Uh, misguided biology however you want to understand it God is in it and God has determined to bless Jacob and so at the end of this portion Jacob's flocks have increased greatly and Laban's have dwindled down and Jacob is again uh, instructed by God at the end of this portion it's time to leave it's time to go back to land of Canaan it's time to take your wives and your children and your flocks and return Uh, The end of the portion actually is uh, when Jacob is leaving. He's confronted by Laban and they vow a vow that they won't mess with each other. And then uh, our our portion ends. So it covers these 20 years, eventful years of Jacob's life. Uh, And what we need to see as we think about that whole time period is... Jacob does not really come across as a particularly spiritual man through any of this, but God has determined to bless Jacob. And that begins at the very beginning uh, when Jacob has left uh, his his parents' home and he's been sent, the, the, the context for this is uh, Jacob's brother Esau has married foreign wives and it's driving his parents crazy. And Rebekah, uh, Jacob's mother says to Isaac you've got to send him back to uh, Laban to our people and make sure he gets a wife from our family and so that's that's the the reason that Jacob is, is leaving uh, the other reason of course is Rebecca is fearful that uh, Ishmael or yeah Esau I'm sorry Esau has uh, vowed to kill Jacob and if uh, he sticks around he's going to wind up dead so those two things, Rebekah convinces Isaac to, to send him away. So it says uh, in Genesis 28, verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. I always get to that part, and I remember back to my own camping days, and thinking, boy, that's tougher even than just putting out a, <laughs> a, a, a sleeping bag and, and a little air pillow. I mean, this is this is some some hearty, hearty uh, camping out. Um, <clears throat> it says, He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold... HaShem, the Lord, stood above it and said, I am HaShem, the Lord, Adonai, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. So here is that restatement to Jacob now of the Abrahamic covenant. There is the uh, recognition once more of the seed, the offspring uh, that will proceed from Jacob and ultimately be the blessing to the world. So God continues to speak to him in verse 15, behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so that really is the undergirding for all that takes place over these next 20 years, is God says, "I am with you, I will keep you, I will bring you back." Right. So we have in this dream, uh, we see the ladder the angels going up and down, and then God's proclamation of the covenant over uh, Jacob. I like that he calls Abraham his father. Technically, of course, he's his grandfather, but in the faith, he's the father of the faith. And so Abraham, your father. Uh, And then, of course, we've talked about the seed and the offspring uh, repeatedly, and here is that same theme. So it's... Important that before Hashem speaks to him, before the Lord speaks to him, he gives him this vision of the ladder. So as Jacob sees this ladder, the angel's going up and down on it. What, what does God intend? And I think that the idea is for Jacob to see that he is under the care of the God at the top of the ladder. The ladder touches where Jacob is and it goes up to where God is. God has his servants, angels, going up and down between heaven and earth to watch over the heirs of promise, as it says in Hebrews, right? And so the vision is meant to reassure him that as disconnected as Jacob may feel at times through these next 20 years, I mean, a lot of crazy stuff happened to him, right? And a lot of things might have crossed his mind to say, where's God when this is happening, as as many of us do when things go sideways, right? Right. But he has this vision that heaven and earth are connected in a way because God is in both places, right? So, when Yeshua is introduced to us in the Gospel of John, if we want to look at the Gospel of John, he comes back to this same vision And because he uses it, it gives us maybe a little bit uh, more room to spread out, (laughs) uh, kind of spiritually, symbolically, allegorically, to think about this latter in some ways as followers of Yeshua. It says in uh, John chapter 1 that... uh, Jesus found Philip and said, follow me. Uh, Jesus was on his way to Galilee, and Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. He found Nathanael and said to him we, found of him, we found him of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I heard a fellow talking about this the other day, and uh, he put it in the context of our ability to see that we live uh, our lives in a kind of mundane, day-to-day existence, uh, beginning to overlook the familiar, uh, taking things for granted. And Nazareth is not a special town. Nazareth, we've been there a hundred times. What's so great about Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, Is kind of the, the background here. He hadn't seen that yes good can come because of this connection between heaven and earth that is always there even when we don't see it right can anything good from come from Nazareth and this is the invitation come and see and to see here is not merely to take in something visually but it is to truly apprehend the reality of something is the idea here so Jesus, so, so Philip says to him, come and see, come and taste, uh, the, the reality that, I, that I've experienced. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him before Philip called you when you're under the fig tree, I saw you. <clears throat> this has always been a, a little bit of a mysterious verse, uh, what, what is going on here until we realize that what Jesus is alluding to, I think, is Nathaniel, he, he, he has been defined by Jesus as an Israelite with no guile. How would Jesus know that? Except for the divine nature that he possessed and the Holy Spirit at work in him revealing things. And the understanding is that in all likelihood, he saw Nathaniel, under a fig tree praying, pouring his heart out to God mm-hmm. and understanding that in him there was no deceit, no guile.
2: Guys, mine I mean, and I think for Nathaniel's side of it—is there's a very great name that comes from Hagar, Elroy. He knew that God saw him. He mm-hmm. sees the God who sees me.
1: Elroy, okay,
2: yeah. yeah. I probably said, I apologize.
1: That's all right. Yeah. Um the uh, story goes on. Nathaniel answered him, "Rabbi, you are the son of God." I mean, this this was such a striking response. We have to really try and uh really see this this whole I saw you under the fig tree. Why that's so what what Jesus said to him when he said that could elicit such a response. And that is really the only, seems to me, the, the the most clear idea is that he heard Nathaniel's prayer. Even though he wasn't present or he was made aware of through the Holy Spirit of what Nathaniel's prayer was. So Nathaniel, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And the answer was, yes, he did. You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here Jesus picks up Jacob's dream and applies it to himself. So at the most basic level, we have to say that Jesus is teaching us that he is the connector of heaven and earth. If we want to ascend to heaven, we have to ascend upon Jesus. The idea also is that we can see God's providence in this ladder. He sends his angels up and down as ministering servants, as we said already in Hebrews, that God watches over uh, the earth and the people who belong to him. And so there is always the connection that exists. We're at the bottom of the ladder. God's at the top. Uh, All we have to do is climb up. Jesus is the ladder. How do we climb up to God? You know, air quotes, climb up. Uh, But we come to Jesus. We pour our hearts up to to him. Yeah, Lee.
0: Yeah, so the... um The rabbi's commentary on this is is beautiful. It says the description of Jacob's dream is among the most beautiful in literature. We have here wonderful imagery, which in its symbolism speaks to each man according to his mental and spiritual outlook. Its message to Jacob is its message to all men in all ages, that the earth is full of the glory of God, that he is not far off in his heavenly abode, and heedless of what men do on earth every spot on earth may be for man the gate of heaven
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you know it's um a lot like my my father my biological father he said he believed in god he was jewish and he said and and not a jewish believer in yeshua as the savior He said he believed in God, but he didn't think that God knew him personally. And I think, you know, a lot of Jewish brothers and sisters, because they don't have the mediator through Yeshua that you're talking about as our mediator, they don't feel that personal relationship. And here is, I think, you know, a very Jewish retort. (laughs) too that that there is God does know us personally and that his angels both ascend from our prayers and descend and that he watches over us
2: Mm
1: -hmm. the uh, idea of prayers being carried by angels we see that actually take place in the scripture in Daniel right Daniel is praying, and uh, finally Michael shows up and says, I was on my way, but I got delayed, <laughs> right? And so uh, they are God. The, uh, the word for angel is malak, uh, messenger. And so they are God's messengers uh, bringing God's word. Uh, we see that uh, at the birth of Messiah, right? And the heavens were opened, and the angels declared glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to men of goodwill, right? So, so this is this is uh, all part of that same kind of uh, idea that God is marshaling his forces. Uh, he is the the God of angel armies, right? Uh, the uh, Adonai Tzabayot, the, the the Lord of hosts, and so the there There's so many ideas that come together here. The Earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof there is no separation between heaven and Earth the way we understand it uh sometimes the the heavens are opened um, when when Yeshua died and the curtain was torn, we talked about that the the way to heaven was was clearly made made, made manifest uh through through Messiah so so the idea of God's providence is here in the ladder the idea of uh, Messiah Yeshua's uh, being our mediator clearly if God is at the top and we are at the bottom the thing in between us what's in between is that mediator the thing that brings us together and that is Yeshua Messiah right and he he uh, is is seen as our mediator Uh, in his life, his death, his miracles, his resurrection, seen in his ascension to the right hand of the Father on high, seen in his uh, priestly intercession that is uh, continual and ongoing. Uh, He intercedes for us without ceasing. So this, this ladder represents all of the ministry of Christ uh, somebody put it this way that that all of those individual pieces of Christ's ministry could be understood as the rungs on the ladder as we climb up uh, we appropriate these things into ourselves and into our lives as we you know Paul writes in Ephesians uh, one of his commands uh, to the Ephesian church was to put on Christ and that word put on is the everyday word for getting dressed clothe yourselves in Christ and so that's a different way of understanding the same ladder thing. How do we uh, enter into God's promises? How do we live in his covenant? How do we come into his presence? It's through through, Messiah, through putting on Messiah, Jesus. The uh, okay, Can I just add yeah, one
0: thing? So, you know, we were talking about dreams and how... You know, and and you know, you've you've sorta of said when you see a theme repeated in a parsha, look for it. So we see several dreams in this parsha being used. And uh you know, dreams are sort of this veil, right, between our material life and the world and whatever the unconscious, superconscious, whatever. But often the spirit will speak to us In our dreams and through our dreams because we're so, when we're living in the world, we're sort of blind to the spirit and we're not communing with the spirit and, you know, being able to intuit God's direction and through the Holy Spirit. And And I think, you know, that is this, the power of prayer as the as ascending angel here mm-hmm. is this way of communing with god and and being able to listen to and intuit the descending angel of direction in our lives through you know the power of prayer so i you know i i think that 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 the dream can be prophetic, but in in it's in the same way that we're instructed to pray.
1: I agree for sure. The idea that the latter can be thought of as prayers, uh, we we our our prayers rise to God. His answers come down to us. Um. There was a thought I had, but it's left my brain. I'm sorry to say. Um, but the idea that uh, this the J- jacob says this is the gate of heaven yeah and the rabbis say uh that actually any place on earth can be the gate of heaven uh this is the house of god uh jacob names the place bethel uh god's house uh but really <coughs> god's house can be any place on earth where god is seen right uh and again we want to use the idea of see in that in that sense that jesus uh that it's used in John, come and see, uh, that when we have our eyes opened, uh, then we can see reality, then we can see that God is in this place, right, as Jacob says, now I see God is in this place. What is that old song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. We're talking about seeing with that spiritual eye, seeing, seeing the reality of God's presence in my moment, whatever my moment is, uh, that the connection, the ladder never moves. It's always standing there against the wall, so to speak, right? But we lose sight of the ladder. We lose sight of the connection ourselves in our day-to-day distractions, in uh, falling for some of the lies of the enemy, in, um, you know, the, the obstacles and the trials that, that we wind up facing. We can lose sight that God is here now. One of the one of the verses, uh, and I like this too uh, because he says God tells Jacob, he reassures him, "This I am with you." Right, and who do we celebrate at Christmas time? Yeshua, Emmanuel. What is Emmanuel? That is Hebrew. That literally says, "God with us." Right. So, so the uh, the idea that he is with us mm-hmm. at all times. There's, there's a, a verse in Psalm 46, I want to say. It might be 47, 46. It's repeated twice. Uh, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our high fortress. Mm-hmm. Twice. He is with us. He is with us. I've gotten in the habit of reminding myself that every day. Uh, the Lord of hosts, Adonai Hashem of angel armies, is with us. Lee, did you have... S-
0: so so in, in verse uh, 20, so after he... This is ju- back
1: in chapter 28?
0: Yeah, and, and, and so after this dream and he wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. Mm-hmm. How full of awe is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then he, you know, calls it Bethel, you know, the house of God. And then in 20, he says, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. Mm-hmm. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So I, I don't know. I read that and I swear to go, is he like, is this a challenge to God? Is this like, well, God, if you do your part, I'll do my part. and I'll give you a tenth. Mm-hmm. Is that the right attitude or am I misreading this?
1: Um, I guess you could call it a challenge. What I what I think is happening is over these twenty years, Jacob is being transitioned from trusting in the faith of his fathers to having his own faith. Hmm. Because here, remember, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I promise this to them, and if you, I, I, and I'm going and I'm promising it to you. And he says, I will keep you and bring you back to your land in peace. So Jacob says, okay, if you do, then you'll be my God. That's good. Because what happens at the end with Laban? Remember this? Let me find the verse here. So he's yeah, here. here let, me, let, let, <coughs> me, let me get this. So after, after the 20 years pass, and now Jacob is heading back, uh, n- and there's a lot of drama that's involved with his going back. They steal Laban's idol, or, well, Rachel steals Laban's idols. Laban comes chasing after him. He's going to force him to turn it over and bring it back. And uh, Rachel tricks her own brother into
2: <laughs>
1: Laban, Rachel's father. Sorry, Uh, tricks her her father, tricks her father. uh, So she winds up keeping the idols. But anyway, they vow this vow that they're going to uh, have peace between them. Let these stones be a witness to us, right? If you oppress my daughters, take wives, although no one is with us. See, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, this is uh, chapter 31, verse 51, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you. You'll not pass over the heap to me and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. Not your God, the God of your father. So Jacob swore, how did he swear? By the fear of his father, Isaac. He didn't swear by his God, although his God will turn out to be the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But we're still, I, I think we're coming down to what, what is the, the climactic moment in Jacob's faith life is coming up mm-hmm. when he's going to wrestle with the angel Who turns out to be God and has his name changed. And I think that is what's going on in this process. These 20 years is God proving himself of his faithfulness and Jacob finally coming to the conclusion yes, I also will serve this God. Because during those 20 years, we don't really get the sense that he's serving God, do we?
0: Mm-hmm. i think I think you're right because when you started the show today, you were talking about how he leaves his land of origin mm-hmm. and then he's on this twenty year journey, so he sort of leaves in a way as a spiritual infant, right, and then he learns he goes on his journey and becomes more accountable and responsible and returns as a you know an adult <clears throat> and eventually leaves this legacy behind of you know the tribes of Israel but i think you're right it is him learning in his own faith walk it's not just the god of my fathers now it's my god and and we see in this transition point if God gives me my bread, if He gives me my clothes, then I'll give Him a tenth. You know, so we sort of do see that over time, he he his <coughs> faith matures and his walk with the Lord matures because he owns it now. It's his own mm-hmm. faith. Hmm. That's
1: very good, Jerry. I think so. It's tough. I think so. Um. We want to use part of his story to transition to another idea. So anything else you want to say on the subject of Jacob's Ladder before we we move on?
0: Right. Just, just that I think, you know, what you were talking about uh, in his maturing is sort of what Yeshua was saying to Nathaniel. You know? <laughs> he So... You think you've beheld something now? Wait till you see the an- the angels ascending and descending mm-hmm. on the Son of Man. Wait till you really see what's going
1: to happen. Yeah, go
2: ahead. Well, I actually want to y'all mentioned prayer being the ladder, correct? Yeah. Like talked about it being prayer. So, I, um, so we're talking about prayer being the ladder. So I was thinking Ephesians six, right? Ephesians six. A lot of us look at the armor of God. But we don't continue reading down and realize that prayer is a part of our armor and it should be our first Thing we do not the last thing we do So it should always be our first thought is to pray to God and ask him for his guidance his wisdom his authority in our life and make sure he's the one guiding us other than relying on ourselves Thank you. Yeah,
3: you know, I think about the pressure that that uh, Jake would have he has 12 sons you know, and he's and he has four wife, four wives, twelve sons, and the responsibility that carries him to to ask these questions. You know, w- will you provide, God? Will mm-hmm. you will you walk with me? And that's that's uh, uh, for any father that would that would be a, a pressure having to go to a new place and and move your family, right? And uh, to a place that you don't really know yet. So it's uh, it's a, it's a faith walk, and and he struggles with it later on. You know, when when uh, when Joseph. Uh, and, and, and when he's in Egypt, that whole place is, is another struggle of faith that he goes through. So just by having four wives and 12 sons and a daughter, getting ready to move across the desert is a faith walk.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. For sure. So, uh, we want to pick the story up for a second, touch on the idea of naming in the old covenant and the significance of names. Uh, before we move on to uh, one last subject. Uh, in chapter 29, verse 31, when Adonai, Hashem, saw that Leah was, barren, was hated, I'm sorry, uh, remember, so so when, when Jacob gets to Laban's household, he falls in love with Rachel. He says, I'll work seven years uh, for Rachel to be my wife. And Laban says, that'll be great. And he works his seven years. And then on his wedding night, uh, Laban substitutes Leah for Rachel, sends Leah into the tent, and Jacob has conjugal visit with her. And the next morning he wakes up and he's, what did you do to me? And then uh, Laban says, well, it's not right in our country for the uh, younger to marry before the older. So I gave uh, you, you married her, I'll give you Rachel now. And so he has to work seven more years for uh, Rachel, although we understand that Rachel became his wife at that time. He just worked seven more years. So, the point is, he loved Rachel. He hadn't asked for Leah. And we get to this verse, When Adonai saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And, you know, this is so interesting that we keep seeing the mothers of the covenant barren, 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 right? And... There's, there's this, this idea then always behind it all, if the covenant is going to be carried on and carried out, it's going to have to require something on God's part to open barren wombs, to create fertility where there is no fertility, to create life where there's no life, right? And of course, that carries all the way through to, to Mary and the mother of Yeshua, who, how can, I, how can this happen if I've not even been with a man? Don't worry, the Holy Spirit will come and... Right, so so here we see Leah was hated. He opened her womb. Rachel was barren, and we talked about this a little bit. Why did God do this? And I, I think it has something to do with honoring the one who's less favored. And we see this coming up in the law later on. Uh, if you have a wife and you love one, but either make sure that you don't mistreat the other one and all that kind of stuff. So this this is already kind of like a foreshadowing of those later laws. Uh, put in place how God remembers her, even if Jacob might not have been very good to her. Um, It says she was hated. He opened her womb. Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So Reuben is the Hebrew that means see a son. So She says to Jacob, see, I've given you a son. Maybe you'll love me now. So there's Reuben. Uh, She conceived again and bore a son. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, uh, which in Hebrew is Shimon. And when we hear Shimon, we should be able to hear the root word behind it, Shema, listen. God has listened to me. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi, which sounds like the Hebrew for attached. So now now my husband must be attached to me. I've given him three sons, right? Therefore his name was Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. So those first three she was kind of trying to get Jacob's attention in the naming, right? And in this last one she says, I'm gonna name this one Judah because I want to praise the Lord. And Judah is a word that means to praise. Wow. So you know the the idea of of the names that Leah comes up with, the first three in some way to to ingratiate sounds kind of negative, but but to somehow shake Jacob and so look what look 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 notice me notice me notice me and maybe he did maybe he didn't the text doesn't really make it clear to us but she finally accepts whatever was going on out there and says this one I'm naming him Judah because I praise the Lord Wow yeah so the other thing that we've talked about in our little discussions is then here's Leah the disfavored wife Two prominent names, Levi and Judah, come from Leah. The favored wife, Rachel, who will give birth later on, but none of her children are going to develop into the priests or the kings. But this is God's work, and God's favor is on whom he has favor, mercy on whom he has mercy and Jacob rejected her, but God favored her.
3: Thoughts, comments? Yes, I just think that that uh, through Leah, as we talked earlier, half of the nation, over half of the nation of Israel, she conceived and gave right. birth to. And look how God, over the generations, has favored her, as opposed to the other other wives,
0: other other mistresses. So. <laughs> and and you know i we talk about the importance of names mm-hmm. and you know especially here in our ministry we talk about the importance of the name yeshua which means salvation and and i think you know the importance here of judah praise that that it came from I don't understand, right? This is above my pay grade. I don't understand this. But names mean something. And the seed of Yeshua, the seed of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, comes from Judah, the tribe of Judah, who is born to the seed of the mother, who names him praise the Lord, right? And so, you know... It, there is, we've talked about how it's the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent, mm-hmm. how important it was in Rebecca and now in Leah here. And, uh, you know, Yeshua is the one who crushes the head of the serpent. So he's born into a tribe of praising the Lord. It's. I think it's an important point Absolutely. to look at. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. For sure. Well, now the story switches. We've seen Leah have four sons. And if you're Rachel, how do you think you're feeling? Well, we don't have to wonder because the scripture (laughs) tells us. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And we just want to stop and rest on that idea here. Because envy... Uh, is a attitude is an an, an attitude that is <clears throat> uh, repeatedly uh, enjoined against. Uh, that didn't come out very well. Uh, but God ha- repeatedly says, "Don't be envious. Don't envy." Um, wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about envy because here <clears throat> we we read that Rachel envied sister we read earlier about the uh, Philistine uh, shepherds envying Isaac's situation Uh, a little bit later in the Genesis story we're going to read about uh, the brothers of Joseph uh, envying and we know where that led it through Joseph in a pit and on to Egypt as as a slave Um, the idea of envy what what is envy uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says it is a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another person's advantages, success, or possessions. Just think those two words, discontent and covetousness, are both so biblical uh, in in their foundation. And
0: And, you know, the second part of the definition you said with regard to another person's, what was it?
1: Uh, advantages, success, or possessions.
0: So, so this goes back to favor, mm-hmm. right? If you could just say, with regard to another person's favor. So it's like, you know, what? Who was it that opened Leah's womb? It was God. God favored Leah there, and Rachel envied Leah. But what was she really envying? She was envying God's favor on Leah. And, and you know, we talked about this last week. You can't steal another person's favor. You can envy it, but you can't take it for your own because it is uniquely theirs. Right. Right. The... It's God's blessing on them.
1: <laughs> well, and that's it, uh, is this idea... Uh, of uh, discontent, of rejecting the life and the moment that God has given me because I prefer somebody else's life and moment more than what God has put in my life. I think this is a real spiritual uh, warfare that can go on in our in ourselves uh, if if we're not careful. Paul talks to the. Uh, Philippian people about uh, living well and then putting up with hardship. And he says, I've learned the secret to be content in all things, right? And what is the secret? I think it comes to this notion of simply accepting who I am, where I am, and what my circumstances are all are part of God's gift to me here and now. And some of the moments that God allows in our lives, and this is why Christianity following Messiah can be difficult is we don't want to hear the part about uh, receiving the blessings and persecution we don't want to hear the part that Paul wrote to the Philippians uh, it's been given you to believe in Yeshua and also to suffer for his sake we don't want to hear Yeshua himself when he says in the world you are going to have great trial but fear not, I've overcome the world. So the trial is part of the allowance of God in my life. James says repeatedly, how should we approach trial? To understand it as a test of faith that God is putting us through, that we may come out more refined and more pure. Right.
2: Mind if I add to
1: that, Lee? Sure, go ahead. So, we got it. <laughs> hang on, we got some technical switcheroo we have to. Pull so out of time. I just
2: want to add to that. This is how God put it on my life. Every lesson is a blessing if you're looking. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying it is. Every lesson in your life, if you look at it from the perspective that we know God is doing everything for our greater good, it doesn't matter what you go through. You can always find the joy and the goodness behind it. And that's the beauty of following Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Because we know he's already got us a place prepared and we just have to keep walking with him.
1: Amen. (laughs) If it was only as easy as just that, right? Uh, But you're exactly right. We, we We are called to walk by faith, not by sight. We're called to, and this gets back to what we were talking about earlier, I am the God who is with you. I am with you. And he is, you know, Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. So, I mean, there it is all through the scripture if we look for it. In this world, where there will be trials and troubles, but I am with you. I am with you.
0: And you know, the the first commandment to love God, have no other gods, envy is based on Behind envy is pride or vainglory, that I deserve what you have, or at least you don't deserve it, you know, and it's this, it's making an idol of oneself. I mean, you see it here with Rachel and with Leah. We saw it, you know, with um, Esau and Jacob, and, you know, we go back and we saw it in the original sin when the serpent said to Eve, "You can be like God," right. and and it, and that's almost like an envy situation right there, and and so you know, I I think you know when what you said, you, both you and Lee said, is that it's when we su- we subjugate ourselves, when we humble ourselves and submit. That's what James says to God. It's when you know, the that we accept and surrender to what we're going through at any moment and that is God's favor in that moment. You know, you said something earlier, Jerry, that
3: that I think you, you see this throughout the Bible and in our own lives, that you walk by faith and not by sight. But how often do we go by sight? Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's that's where the tension lies, I think. And lean not on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him. Now if we could keep if we could keep those words in the forefront of our minds on every decision we mm-hmm. do, say and think, mm-hmm. how much better off we would you be on all things.
1: Yes. Couple things running through my brain. I want to go back to what Lee said about the commandment, thou shalt not I'm Lord your God, you shall not have any gods besides me. That envy, remember we said, is covetousness? What is covetousness? Paul tells us it's idolatry. We have put something that somebody else has in the place of God.
0: And what, and what about the Hebrew word you were teaching us for envy and, and for God being a jealous God? Mm-hmm.
1: So the Hebrew word kana, at its foundational level, signifies great emotion, uh, a zeal for someone or something properly used. It is completely appropriate to be zealous for God, right? Uh, To be uh, zealous for God's cause, God's will, God's way. Uh, But zeal, this strong emotion, it can attach it to sell itself to things that are not appropriate for us, somebody else's possessions, then it becomes envy. Or if we are jealous over things that we believe are ours, uh, there's, a, there's a a line here between being jealous over something uh, like the husband who falsely accuses his wife, right, in, in the law later on. But... That is an expression of a true jealousy because she's his wife. And we see this same word expressed about God being a jealous God, and it is God's jealousy for his people that causes him to be strict when they don't follow his ways because they are committing adultery, spiritual adultery. They have broken the marriage covenant with God in going after other gods. They have envied what the nations had. They have coveted other people's gods, and they have broken covenant with their husband. And so God is rightfully jealous for his people because they are his people. Bob, I know you.
3: Yeah, and he in in the book of Hosea, he wants his wife back, you know, for, for from Solomon to Hosea, there's about I think it's about 250 years, and during that whole time, he's sending messengers, he's sending prophets, just bring my wife back home, just please come back home. Mm-hmm. So he, you're right, Jerry, he is he's he's jealous for his wife, he wants her back, and he pleads for her, and I just think that the the last commandment, Thou shall not covet. So many of the previous commandments rest on top of that. That's that's the underlying issue, you know. So if if anything about coveting another man's wife or another man's possessions, it all rests on that tenth commandment. That's that's
0: that's the lawbreaker.
1: Mm-hmm. When we want something that God hasn't given us,
0: that's right. Yeah, and, it's a it's a disorder desire, right? Right. And and that's why when we talk about the Shema. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's 100% all. And so when our, you know, 1% fears off and says, Yeah, but I love that more than I love God. And we protect that little thing for ourselves. That's the, the, the seed of envy there. Right,
3: right. But God asks us to be obedient for our own good, you know. For this He wants us to have a rich life in Him, and navigate around this corrupt world that we live in. So that's why He sent those commandments. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, to do the things that He would want us to do to protect us. Right. You know. So
1: right. Um, before we came on air, Lee uh, was talking to us about uh, if you love the Lord, you'll keep his commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? Uh, John talks about uh, those who love Jesus do the things that he said. And we are new covenant people and we believe with Paul that we are not under law but under grace, but we are not foolish enough to say that uh, Paul is now suggesting we be lawbreakers. What he is telling us is that now being reborn, remade from within in the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are now given the power to live within the good boundaries that the law sets out for us and to do the things that the law expresses God's good, perfect holy will, right? And we are not under the law because the law brings opposition in our flesh. But the law through the Holy Spirit brings conformity to the image of Messiah. Good point, isn't
2: Jerry. It? Well So 1 Corinthians 13 is what I'm going to say on this. If we do anything outside of love, it's pointless. So as you guys see, I know you guys are Messianic Jews, correct? You, Jerry, and Lee. Mm -hmm. Y'all see I'm wearing a Zatan with Zitzitz. Why do I do this? It's because I love our God. And I want to represent both the old and the new. Because I see this as all being him Mm -hmm. this is our god manifested in scripture as christ was manifested in the flesh and if i'm not mistaken christ was a jew so i'm almost sure that when he walked around here this is what he wore and i want to be as close to him i don't know about you guys but i want to be as close to him as possible and this is a four witnesses against me right and what do they do they make sure that i i remember even if i'm about to do something i think y'all know there's a rabbi that spoke one time and it was about how when he pulled it off because he went to another land and it hit him in the face it reminded him of who he serves because even in a foreign land you should have that reminder Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, what, what did you say about the tzitzis earlier when we were talking about them in a previous, uh, you know, when I,
1: in... When well, they, they're, they're set forth in, in the law as reminders, right? That, that we, have, we have been uh, set apart for service to God and we have been given the covenants and the blessings and they remind us the fearfulness of the reminders that when we forget then all the curses when we walk away when we break our marriage covenant with with God uh, so so the uh, the seats seats are, are the reminders that that we're in in a relationship uh, I was thinking about uh, this the other day because I was reading about um, covenants uh, and, and church church membership vows. And the person was commenting about how easily people uh, move from church to church for very little reason and don't take seriously the vows that they made in that covenant. And it reminded me that in the Jewish culture, uh, in the more conservative to orthodox realm of Judaism, uh, when a man and a woman are about to be married, they write up a ketuvah it's it's a statement of their vows what they are committing to each other and then that hangs in the home for them as a reminder and so that's what really god is is asking us in all of these physical details is remember me remember me remember me because when you start forgetting is when you start to go off and lee you said that one one degree off from center you know you carry that line out far enough you're a long way from where you should have been right and so we need those reminders in our life whether it's a physical tzitzit whether it's coming to our, our scripture every day to read whether some people get tattoos these days all kinds of different ways to remind ourselves to whom we belong and who we serve I mean those are all all really crucial crucial things thanks Lee for for bringing that up we're coming down to the end of the road here. Uh, I just want to point out on the subject of envy uh, that it is a, a, a serious, serious issue. Listen to uh, Paul in Romans chapter 1 uh, in his condemnation of, uh, of, of what happened to the world and to mankind when they left off following their creator. Uh, they became filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, Covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. So, you know, if, if you say, oh, envy, that doesn't really hurt anybody. It's just my thing. No, listen to the list that it, it is part of. It's as bad as <laughs> murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Maliciousness is, is acting badly, doing, doing bad things to other people, vandalizing stuff, right? Envy's right in there. Galatians 5.21, listing the uh, fruits of the flesh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warned you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, Lee, you, you pointed us to 1 Corinthians 13. I want to end with that on the subject of envy then. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. So we're near the end. Uh, We hope that you uh, were blessed by uh, some of these things today. Jacob's ladder. Don't forget that God is with you. Uh, If we have eyes to see, the connection between heaven and earth is always open. So if you'd like to pray with us to uh, receive Yeshua and enter into the blessings we've been talking about, uh, I'm going to pray. And if this is your prayer, pray along with me. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Yeshua, Jesus, into the world to pay for my sins. Thank you that I can be forgiven completely by putting my faith in him. Thank you that he is living, raised again, and because he lives, I can live also. Please forgive me as I put my faith in Yeshua. Wash me of all my sins. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart that I may become an adopted son of God And do the things that please you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for being with us. God be with you. And we'll see you again next week.